Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 6. The book of 1 Corinthians and chapter number 6. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Remember the Apostle Paul helped start this church and spent over a year and a half working with this church, leading them to the Lord and discipling them. As he has gone away to go start another church in the place of Ephesus, he had received word that there was all kinds of problems coming up within this church. And the core problem was pride. And that out of this pride, there was many other symptoms that had been showing up. That they had got to the place where they had divisions. And there was four main divisions of the church. And these weren't like little divisions like, yay, we cheer for this team. These were divisions where they would have fistfights in the parking lot divisions. They were people that were upset with each other. They had drawn lines of the sand. They were convinced that the other people were completely wrong. And it was ripping this church apart. In addition, because of pride, all of these Corinthians thought they were super spiritual. That's one of the bad aspects of pride is it makes us have a false view of ourselves. And these Corinthians had very much a false view of themselves, thinking themselves to be spiritual when they were not. And all of these things proved it. Paul had to speak to them as carnal and not as spiritual, as babes, because they were not acting like adults, spiritual adults. They were acting babyish and childish. By the way, what is the idea of childish? How does a child react? Well, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. And then if you take their toy, they're going to cry and have a fit. They're going to be mad and upset. If you uh, do something against them, they're going to cry and they're going to have a fit. That they're childish because they're carnal. And that's all that was going on is that this pride had been involved. Now, whereas they're still thinking they're super spiritual, they're allowing just awful sins within the church. They have a guy in the church who is publicly... Uh, known that he is sleeping with his stepmother. Horrible, horrible, horrible. And there's fornication going on. And now as we get to chapter 6, we're going to see even more stuff that is going on. But the root of it is pride, that they're puffed up. And we're going to see because of this that they are going to fight one against another. Let's read the text together. Look with me if you don't mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If ye then have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed of the church. I speak to your shame. 
Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, do wrong and defraud, and that your brother. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 6? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and notice with me in verse 7, where it says in the middle of this verse, take wrong. Take wrong. And if you don't mind, for the purpose of this message, we're going to add a definite article there for the title of it, take the wrong. Take the wrong. And with this, we're going to see this principle here, take the wrong. Take the wrong. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you, Lord, we come to such an important principle in us dealing with our relationships with other people, whether they be Christians, whether they be co-workers, whether they be lost people, whether they be people right with God, wrong with God, we find a principle of how we are supposed to behave and how we are supposed to respond. And to be honest, this principle goes against every fiber of our flesh, every fiber of our being. And yet you say, this is how the body of Christ, how Christians ought to behave. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to learn this principle because we can trust you. When it's all said and done, it comes to that idea. Can we trust you or do we feel like that we have to get it done or it's not going to get done? We have to fix it or it's not going to get fixed. Lord, I'm asking that you would really open our eyes, open our spiritual eyes tonight that we may be see, that we may understand, that we may hear, and that we can obey, that you could help us to understand this principle that we find in this passage. Lord, I need your spirit filled so much. I need you to take control, you to do the work. This cannot be done, my own strength, my own intellect, my own power. It has to be you if the spiritual principle is really going to get into the hearts of people. It has to be your Holy Spirit that puts it there. Not my words, not my ability, not my skills. Lord, you have to do a work and we can trust you. Lord, give us great understanding now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we now approach this chapter, we now go to another problem found within this church. The first thing I'd like to show you here is the court of the saints. The court of the saints. 
Notice with me in verse number one. Dare any of you having a matter against another, speaking about that if you have a problem with another person, do dare, notice that word dare, dare any of you. Meaning like not double dog dare you, but the idea that dare any of you, it's, it's a matter that should be off limits. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. So what's happening in verse number one? What is happening is that people within the church is making lawsuits and suing other Christians within the church. They're taking other Christians to court. And this is a huge deal. Paul is saying, what in the world are you doing? Why in the world are you taking a matter, a fight between you two, and why in the world are you taking it to the civilian courts, to the world's courts? This should not be going on. Now, it's not that the idea that the world's courts would not give right justice, not that they're afraid that the courts are not going to judge correctly, but more that it's an idea, it's a bad testimony for Christians to sue other Christians. Why? Because we're supposed to have the wisdom of God and be able to discern these matters ourselves. In fact, that's what he goes on to, verse number two. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? Now, think about this. He's bringing up this idea that the saints will judge the world. Now, this is not the first time, nor is it the last time that the apostle Paul is going to bring up the subject of the millennial kingdom inside of the book of first Corinthians. That means that the apostle Paul spent a lot of time teaching the Corinthian church about the millennial kingdom. And now he's not teaching them, but reminding them of things that he had taught. What does this mean that we are going to judge inside of the millennial kingdom? Well, the next event on God's calendar is something we call the rapture. That there's no more signs, no more wonders, no more things that have to be fulfilled in order for Jesus Christ to come back in the clouds. And we will be raptured out, called away. And we're going to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ in the air. Then what's going to happen is that this world is going to be left to Satan and his Antichrist for a period of seven years. During this time, the Lord is going to be working with the Hebrew people to bring them to himself. And there are going to be many Hebrew people who are going to get saved during that period of the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, Jesus Christ is going to come back and we as saints are coming back with him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge the nations at that time and all those who have never trusted Jesus as their Savior are going to perish. But all those who accepted Christ, those Hebrew people are going to enter to the millennial kingdom in their brand in their natural bodies. We as saints are going to get a brand new redeemed body. So there's going to be two different groups of people as the millennial kingdom starts. Saints who have a redeemed body or are going to help the Lord Jesus Christ rule and reign in this world. Then you're going to have the Hebrew people who are going to still have this natural body. Their bodies aren't going to change. Now, those Hebrew people are going to be able to have children. And as we restart and go to millennial kingdom, uh, to Garden of Eden conditions, you're going to have lots of people being born and lots of people uh, not dying the population is going to grow tremendously during this time. 
Now, the problem is, is that you got a lot of people who are being born, but they all have this stinking rotten flesh. And your flesh gives you problems. I mean, you're in a church today, but how many of you can admit that your flesh gave you problems today? Right? And we're trying to be right with God. So even if you're trying to be right with God, your flesh can still act up. Well, what happens when you have a bunch of people that not trying to let their flesh, keep their guard, flesh guard? Is there going to be problems? Yeah. And so when the population grows, how is Jesus going to keep settling issues? Does everyone have to go line up one by one to go talk to Jesus? No, he's going to use us as saints to help judge the world. The idea of judging here is the idea of evaluating and coming to a decision. So if two people are fighting in the millennial kingdom, it is going to be our job to stop the fight, to solve the matter and send them home. We're going to be the courts. Imagine that. So going back to the apostle Paul in verse number two, do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? What he's basically saying is, listen, this is going to be your full-time job in the millennial kingdom. Might as well practice now. You can't find a way to settle issues among yourself that you have to go to court. I mean, we have something called the Holy Spirit. Can God give us wisdom if we ask it? Absolutely. And so he said, can't you take care of this in-house? If two people are having problems, you should be able to settle it. The Bible gives a clear principle in Proverbs that it says, only by pride cometh forth contention. The idea of contention carries the idea that we're upset with people, that we, we want to fight with people. We feel like we're right and they're wrong and that we have to show it to them. This idea of contention, that there's a strife, there's a friction between us. Sometimes you can have that friction inside of you and not even address it, but that's still strife. Even if you didn't say it out loud, you have the strife inside of you, you have the contention inside of you. But the Bible says, and Paul's pointing out that, listen, you should be able to solve this yourself. Understanding the source only by pride cometh forth contention. All throughout here, you're going to be able to see what's the problem? Pride. What's the problem? Pride. Why are those two people fighting? Pride. Why are those people taking each other to court? Pride. Why can't they get this solved? Pride. Pride is awful. Pride is the center problem of this church. It is just springing up in the divisions that only by pride cometh forth contention. The contention is the symptom of the problem. And the Apostle Paul says you should be able to take care of any contention that comes in your life. You should be able to take care of any offenses that come in your life. That word offense carries the idea of a stumbling block. An offense is something that puts in your way that makes you stop and not move forward. So someone gets offended. They're not moving forward until this issue is taken care of. Have you ever been offended? You're upset that something didn't go your way, that you have this strife, and I'm not moving off this issue until it's solved. That's a stumbling block. Ever done that? Been there, done that? <laughs> Surrounded by him? The Bible says we should be able to solve this. You're going to do this in the millennial kingdom. You need to be able to do it now if you are a spirit-filled Christian. If you are able to follow the principle that we're going to give here 
to be able to take care of this. That inside of a church, if there's ever a problem, we should be able to handle it. In fact, notice what Paul says. Verse number two again. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? If the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? That means that in the millennial kingdom, if two angels happen to get in a fight, they're not. That we would be able to settle the angels, but settle the matter between the angels. That's how much responsibility we're going to have in the millennial kingdom. That's a lot. We should be able to solve problems now. When we look at it, isn't some of the small strifes and things very, very small in the light of eternity? And yet we're trying to make this a big mountain that's in our way that we can't move past. Notice at the end of verse number three. How much more things that pertain to this life? You should be able to take care of this. Verse number four. If ye then have judgments of the things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. So notice what Paul says. Again, sarcastic preaching. He says, if you've got a problem with two people fighting in the church, you should be able to take it to the stupidest person in the church and they should be able to ask God for wisdom and solve this thing. That you don't need to have, <laughs> have someone who's got law degrees and this type of things and lawyers behind them and triplicate. You should be able to have even the stupidest, dumbest, less intelligent, the person that's looked down the least in the church and them still be able to go, God, give me wisdom and then solve the thing. Amen. Isn't that wonderful that God has given the wisdom to everybody? It's available. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who will give it to him liberally and it braideth not. That we should be able to solve issues. May I pause? Now can we have so many issues that's in our life that's you know bugging us all the time? Could I bring you the bottom line answer? Pride. Only by pride cometh forth contention. And it's not their pride problem. If we're fighting against someone we like to point out, oh, it's your pride. No. If you have contentions, you have strife, you feel the thing rising, it's your pride that's in the way. Now, they may have pride that's acting up, and then both of your prides are making it worse. But we're not talking about their pride now. Your pride. Only by pride cometh forth contention. So if you get to the place where you're upset, you get to the place where you have a stumbling block, you get to the place where you are feel the heat against another person, whether in this church or out the person, it is your pride problem. That's the issue. And it's your pride problem that needs to be taken care of. We'll tell you the solution here in a bit, but we're pointing it out. We should be able to solve problems and issues and not let things fester and not let things blow up. God expect that's going to be our job in the millennial kingdom. You might as well start practicing now. You should be able to solve issues, especially inside of a local church that has a desire to follow the Lord. Because what's going to bring a church down? Pride. Get this into practice now. Again, Paul's saying, listen, find the person that is looked down upon, the lowest esteem, the dumbest person, the less intelligent, and you should be able to go to him. And he should be able to look to the Lord for answers and solve it. Which is sarcastic saying, you should be able to handle this yourself. 
this should not be a thing where we're going to the courts of the civilian world. We should be able to take care of things ourselves. That Christians should not sue other Christians or take them to court over those matters. We're talking about civil matters now. All right. Notice as it goes on in verse five. I speak this to your shame. He says, all of this, I say your shame. You should not be dragging this out to the world, bringing this out and exposing your dirty laundry and having fights out in the parking lot. You shouldn't be having these problems. It is a horrible testimony. Shame on you. Shame on you. You should be able to take care of this. It's nothing but pride. Filthy, awful pride. And it is your pride, not their pride. That's the problem. Get it fixed. And he's going to give them how to fix it in just a bit. He says, I speak to this, your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you. No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But if brother goeth to law with a brother and that before unbelievers. Now he says, don't you have someone? Now he sarcastically said, go find the stupidest person there. and They should be able to find it. Then he goes back and says, can't you find someone who's wise enough to take care of this? If you, if you can't solve it yourselves between the two of you, don't you have someone that you could go to within the church rather than going out there? He says, this should be taken care of. The courts of the saints should be where Christians take care of their issues. If you somehow cannot take care of it with another brother, well then find someone within the church who is wise enough to go say there and go with that judgment. Now he goes on, he's going to get to the solution in here just a second. But notice we see a second thing here. He goes, before you were saints. Before you were saints. Notice in verse number eight. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. Verse number eight emphasizes wrongdoing. This is criminal behavior. What is worse is the criminal behavior is being done to other Christians. Think about this. He's saying it is awful and wrong that you can't take care of your own strife. It is awful and wrong that you can't take care of your problems. And the source of it is pride. Pride. Verse number nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now pause. He's now tying it in. He says, why do we need to go to the civilian courts when they're not going to be the ones ruling in the millennial kingdom? You're going to be ruling in the millennial kingdom. You're in charge. You're discerning. Why to go to the courts anyways? It's just criminal. It is foolish. It is against God for you to take your problems and take it outside. By the way, that's not just criminal courts. It's called gossip, murmuring, complaining. If you have a problem with your pastor and go tell everyone in town, is that a good testimony for the church? You should be able to take care of that in-house. If you have a problem with someone within the church, is it wise to go on the phone and start gossiping about everything that's going on? No, it's a horrible testimony. It is a crime against God. It's a crime against the church. It's a crime against what God's trying to get accomplished and it holds back God's work. It's a bad testimony. He says, the unrighteous isn't going to inherit the world. They're not going to be placed in charge. We are. He goes, let me remind you what the lost world is like. He says, 
Be not deceived, for neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Why in the world do we need to solve things with Christians to the world that's like that? We don't need to go to civilian judges who's never been forgiven. They're sinners. But notice the phrase in verse 11. And such were some of you. He says, may I remind you of something? All of you are sinners. And all of you got saved the same way. How did we get saved? Verse number 11. And such were some of you. But, I like that word but. It's a conjunction that means the opposite. You were like that, but now ye are washed. You were like that, but now you are sanctified. You were like that, but now you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. May I remind you that you're a sinner saved by grace. There's not a single righteous person among you of your own selves. None of you were good enough to get into heaven. None of you were right with God. Every single one of you needed saved and needed to accept Christ as your Savior. All of you are on the same ground. You were all sinners and all of you had horrible sins. And such were some of you. Now praise the Lord that God can change our lives. But because God has changed our life, we've got something great. We got the Holy Spirit who is God that lives inside of us. And the Holy Spirit who is God lives inside of us. He's also the spirit of truth. And he can guide us into all truth. It is amazing to look and see how many times that word truth is associated with the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15. John chapter 17. The book of 1 John. So many references talks about that the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. The Holy Spirit's our guide. He could tell us what's right. We are not have to decide things on our own. We could go to God and say, God, tell us what to do. Tell me how to deal with this. Tell us what the right answer is. That we're not left by ourselves. That's something that a civilian judge who is not saved doesn't have. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit direction. So why bring it to them to solve an issue? That for us, the saints, what you used to be, before you were saints, you had issues. Before you got saints, you had problems. Before you were saints, you were no better than them. You are sinners saved by grace. And we should be able to move beyond these sins because of the victory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus can also give you victory over pride. That we should be able to solve things ourselves, Not because of how great you are or how smart you are. But because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you can give you direction. Which brings us to the principle. Now, we started off by talking about the court of the saints. That God says through the Holy Spirit, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using Paul as a human penman, we should solve things in-house. We should be able to take care of it. We could, we could solve, we're going to be the judges later, let's take care of it now. He says, let me remind you that none of you are brilliant on your own. Amen. None of you are spirit discerning on your own. You're all sinners saved by grace and you have the same Holy Spirit lives inside of you and that Holy Spirit can direct you into all truth. You're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we come to the principle. 
What is the thing that we're getting across? What is the one thing here? We see the behavior of the saints. Let's see what this principle is. Notice with me in verse seven. This is where we're going to spend our remainder of our time. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. What are we supposed to do? Why do you not rather take wrong? Take wrong. The principle is to follow, or the principle to follow here is the idea to make peace and settle disputes. How do we make peace? How do we settle disputes? Take the wrong. Take the wrong. Why do you not take wrong, or rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Pride blows up so many relationships. But when we get this principle, this principle is that we take the wrong. Even if you don't think that you're wrong. Now, let's kind of define and we're going to illustrate and so we understand. We're not talking about being a doormat. That's not what we're talking about. And we're not talking about, well, fine, you just, whatever you want. Uh, that's still a lot of pride there, okay? Just do whatever you want. That's not making peace. Taking the wrong is for you inside of your spirit to humble yourself, to lower your pride and say, I'm wrong, you're right. What can we do to fix this? Take the wrong. The opposite of pride. Pride says, I'm right, and I'm determined to make you realize I'm right. That's pride. That's the divisions. Only by pride cometh forth contention. All these principles we learned before are now coming to play here of guarding our spirit. There are some people that don't guard their spirit, and they're ready to be offended over everything. That's pride. We got people who are, feel like it's their job to make sure everyone else is right. That's pride. We have people that say, no matter what, I can never be wrong. No one can ever see my imperfections. That's pride. And this is the source of our problems with our relationships. Think about the last argument and fight you got onto. If you think about it and find the source of it, wasn't it pride? You thought you were right and they were wrong. And you felt it was your duty, your responsibility, your privilege to show them that they're wrong. And you spent all the time convincing them and trying to show them and persuading them and threatening them that you're right and they're wrong and they better see it your way or else. The problem is they're full of pride too. And they think the same thing that they're right and you're wrong. I mean, isn't that all fights is that I think I'm right and you think you're right. And these two people can't imagine that the other person's right. And so they butt heads. God says, solve that by taking the wrong. If you take the wrong, no one's fighting now. I mean, they could be pushing and you're like, okay. Now again, the attitude is part of it here inside of us. It's not fine. Just stop talking. We're not talking about this. That's not taking the wrong. You know what? I can tell that this is very important to you. I'm sorry that this has come to this. What can I do to make this right? That kind of stops the argument when no one's fighting no more. What can I do to make this right? 
This is very important to you. And I'm sorry that it's come to this. You know, I I shouldn't have been uh, allowing it to get this far. I apologize for that. What can I do to get this right? Now, this is where our flesh gets in a problem because our flesh does not like to ever, ever, ever admit that we're wrong. It doesn't even want the hint, the possibility, the, the, for, the appearance that we might even possibly be wrong. It hates that, very much so. But the idea of taking the wrong is where I die to myself, die to my pride. I'm sorry. What can I do to make this right? I, this shouldn't have gone this far. Take the wrong. Now, this is where the objections start coming. Pastor, I don't understand why I should take the wrong. I'm right and they're wrong. I shouldn't become a liar by saying I'm wrong. I've had people come and say that before. That's pride. (laughs) That statement was full of pride, but that was the other, yeah. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. You humbling yourselves down. You're not becoming a liar. You're obeying a biblical principle by being a peacemaker. The Bible doesn't say bless the peacekeepers. He says bless the peacemakers. Meaning that you go out of the way to make peace. Your job is to make the peace. I'm sorry. Let's take care of this. Let's uh, solve this. It goes on further and says... And verse 7, would you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded, to be cheated? So let's imagine scenarios, okay? We're playing um, scenarios so we can have a better understanding. Let's say that one of you lent a neighbor in the church a lawnmower. Does that happen in a church? And let's say that the person never returns the lawnmower. And the Christians just getting madder and madder. Why don't they return this? Why don't they return it? Hey, when are you going to return this lawnmower? And it's becoming more antagonistic. more that they think about it, the more that they go. When are you going to return this? You guys ever see a situation like that ever come up? Of course it does. And they're getting angrier and angrier. And that pride is now putting a division in the church. It's dampening the spirit. You know, as soon as those two people get together, that one of them is just going to... And it affects the whole spirit. It affects everything. Wouldn't it be better to say, you know what? I'm going to write it off. You know, we now come to the heart of the principle. Why take the wrong? The idea is, is because we can trust God to do what's right. You know what pride does? Pride makes us think that it's our job, our responsibility to make things right. Taking the wrong says, I can trust God to fix things. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm going to trust God to do what's right with this lawnmower. I'm not going to bring it up again. And if God wants me to have that lawnmower, he'll give me the lawnmower. If not, then I'm going to trust him to fix things out. Can you trust him? Now this becomes to the heart of the matter. Why is it so hard to die to self on this? Because we don't trust God completely. We don't think that God can fix people. We feel like it's our responsibility. So let's just say that we have family members who are fighting against each other. And we feel like it's our responsibility to point out, you're wrong. Why don't you get right? Just fix this thing, whatever else. And we feel like it's our responsibility. They're never going to change unless someone points it out to them over and over and over. Like taking a dog and rubbing its face into its mess. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. (laughs) 
Can we trust God to say, listen, I'm no longer going to fight over this. I'm no longer going to deal with this. I'm, Lord, you take care of them. And I'm going to trust you. And every time you feel that pride start warming up because you see them, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you work. I'm a, I can trust you to work in this situation better than I can. Now, this is where you develop the habit of dying to self because it doesn't come easily, it doesn't come naturally, and it doesn't come by accident. You on purpose die to self. You on purpose say, Lord, I could trust you. What happens is someone gets in your face and saying that you're wrong, that you have the wrong information. You know what? I'll be glad to take it to the Lord. One of my favorite people of history was Dr. R.A. Torrey. Dr. R.A. Torrey uh, had the privilege of studying in Germany uh, in seminary and school. The problem with that was that this was the height of what we call German rationalism or higher criticism. In this higher criticism phase, they all believed that the Bible was wrong and all the cemeteries, I mean seminaries, were teaching people where the Bible was wrong and this miracle is not true and this isn't here and this word should be here. And as a young man studying abroad, having the privilege of studying, he learned from his teacher. I mean, what person goes to a school and thinks their teacher's all wrong? You're going to school to learn. So you're assuming your teacher's smart. They know better than me. So he learned a lot of false doctrine. Well, when you have a lot of false doctrine and someone confronts you and says that you're wrong, you have a couple different responses. One of them's, no, this is what my teacher said. This is what I believe. Stop it. I'm right. You're wrong. And you could argue and fight. But you know what Dr. Tory did? Dr. Tory said, thank you for bringing this to my attention. If you don't mind, I'm going to follow a principle that says in John 7, 17, if any man will do his will, he can know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And he says, listen, I can tell that you're very passionate about this. And this doctrine is very important to you. If you don't mind, I want to bring this up to the Lord and I want God to show me what's right and what's wrong. And I'm going to tell him that if I'm wrong, if he shows me, I'll believe it and I'll change. Is that a satisfactory answer to you? And they would say, yes, of course, because that was a lot of humbling. I'm willing to change if God will show me. I want to be right. And so every time someone would show him that he was wrong, he would take that principle he would go to the Lord and say, Lord, so-and-so showed it to me tonight. They say that I'm wrong. They're right. Lord, will you show me in a way that I know that comes from you what's right? And I'll believe that. And towards the end of his life, he changed a lot of doctrine. I have a lot of respect to someone who could humble himself like that because that's not our normal thing. Bless God, my pastor says you're wrong. I don't know why, but you're wrong. Oh, that's our normal response. I don't know what nonsense you're saying, but you're crazy. And we wonder why we have a hard time getting along with people. Because whether it's wrong lifestyle or wrong doctrine or wrong philosophy or wrong Sesame Street or wrong whatever. We've come up with all these ways to get in fight and antagonistic. And so no wonder people hate going to work. 
I go to work, I have to deal with this person being wrong and this person being wrong and this person being wrong. No wonder people hate going home after work because I got to deal with this person and this person and this person. No wonder people hate Thanksgivings and family reunions because I got to deal with this person and this person. No wonder people hate going to church because I got to deal. You, you see, it affects every area of our life because of our pride. And everywhere we go, they're wrong, 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 they're wrong. And we're miserable only by pride cometh forth contention. Our response, take the wrong. Take the wrong. Now you say, well, what happens if they are wrong? Well, if you could forgive me, I'll dive into that in a second. I remember having a young Bible college student, fresh off Bible college, and uh, the Bible is going to give a principle in 1 Corinthians a little bit later. Knowledge puffeth up. And when you come out of Bible college, you got a lot of knowledge. And a lot of puffed up. And he believed that it was his job to correct people for every single thing they were wrong on. Not just doctrine, but grammar. I mean, we call them grammar Nazis. Why do we call them grammar Nazis? Because they have no grace whatsoever if you say the wrong word. Right? They're not willing to take the wrong. They're going to fight for that one word. Maybe you're like that too. Or maybe it's not grammar. Maybe it's something else that's your pet thing that you refuse to bend a knee on. And he would go up in church service and just, as they're walking out the door when you're supposed to be shaking hands, hey, you were wrong about this. And hey, you need to fix that. And you don't do this right. It was making people miserable around. We had to pull them aside and listen. It's not your job to point out all their errors. Take the wrong. And he's like, but I can't just let them be wrong. That's the, let them walk around being wrong. I'm trying to help them. And then I gave him another principle that goes off of this. What's the matter with allowing them to be wrong? What's the matter with allowing them to be wrong? Does it hurt anything if they believe differently than you? Does it really hurt anything if they use the wrong verb? If they say I'm doing good rather than I'm doing well? I mean, is the earth shattered because, you know, they said... Can you let them be wrong? Well, if, 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 if I don't fix them, then how are they going to be right? Can you trust God to fix them? Amen. Thank you. It's not your job. You have enough issues on your own backyard. Fix yourself. Amen. Let God fix them. Well, how do I let God? You cheat, you pray. I mean, you talk to your heavenly father, can he work on someone's life better than you? Yeah. I mean, let him be wrong. You don't have to be right. Let God work on them. You know, it saves a lot of arguments. If you've never written this statement, may I give it to you now? Unwarranted advice is never heeded and often resented. Unwarranted advice is never heeded and often resent it. Now, put yourself in the place. Do you want someone coming and telling you everything you're doing wrong all the time? Then why in the world do you think other people want to be told that too? Remember, most of us are full of pride that we already have a knee-jerk reaction anytime that it's pointed out that we've done something wrong. 
So if they're not prepared to change, they will not receive your correction no matter how pure your heart is in that matter of correcting them. We have to let God work on them and just allow them to be wrong. We pray for them. We love on them. And we wait till the place where they're teachable. Let them be wrong. Now you understand I'm talking about interpersonal relationships, not a parent-child. I had someone much misunderstand me. Well, I'm not going to spank my child. In. No, 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 no. That's your job. Fix it. All right. We're not talking about a parent-child relationship. We're talking about interpersonal relationships. Let them be wrong. Let them be wrong. Let God work on them and God could do a better job than you ever could. I don't, you know, we're on a Wednesday night crowd. So let me teach you some counseling one-on-one. Nod your head and smile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if they're telling you a big long story that everything's wrong with it. Amen. You know, the word amen means I agree. It doesn't mean that you have to agree with him. I remember once knocking on a door and a guy said, well, I'm a Satanist. Well, amen. He went, I I just meant I agreed with him that he was a Satanist. (laughs) I agree. Amen. Nod your head and smile. (gasps) You know, I don't know where in the world we got this idea that as Christians, it's our job to fix everybody. But we really work hard at doing it and we fail miserably. And we wonder why people don't want to come to church, why people don't want to be around us, why people don't like Christians in the first place. Well, they're just so judgmental, probably because they had too many Christians trying to fix them, maybe with even pure motives, but they weren't ready to be fixed. Let them be wrong. It all comes down to the idea, do you feel like you have to fix the situation or can you let God fix them? If you could let God fix them, take the wrong. But I'm going to look bad. Yeah, that's called dying to self. (laughs) Take the blame. Take, Take it. Settle the thing. Let God sort it out. But I don't want to lie and say I'm guilty of something I'm not. Take the wrong. This is the Bible principle. You know how many fights would be quit in a church if someone says I'm not fighting over this issue? If this is that important to you, help yourself. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. I mean, this principle would have just revolutionized the church of Corinth. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. Let's, someone stole the lawnmower and not give it back. You know, Chuck of it as is lost. Lord, you take care of it. It was your lawnmower anyways. I gave it to you. Take the wrong. This is a principle again it doesn't come easy. This is not, this is advanced Christian 101 right here. Take the wrong. It doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. And it is not something that you do automatically. You have to build the habit of it. And you have to catch yourself when you feel that heat rising, when you feel defensive, you feel like you're ready to go to war. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. This is big stuff. Take the wrong. This is what they were supposed to do. Let, let's not fight over it. Let's not go to war over it. We understand that there are some things we do go to war over, but they're not as many as you think they are. Take the wrong. 
If someone came in here and says, bless God, we're using a different Bible. We take care of that with church discipline. But we're going to sit and, you know, if somebody believes different than me and they're allowed to believe different. That's a wonderful thing about individual soul liberty. I was with someone the other day, not Baptist. In fact, they were asking me what Baptists believe. And they were trying to say, how do we convince all these people to believe like us? And I was listening to them, just nodding my head, smiling, just letting them talk it out. Finally, what do we do? How do we fix? We need all of these people to believe like we do. I said, well, there's something that's Baptist since we were asking about Baptist. Our core belief is something called individual soul liberty. That means that everyone has access to God. And because we all have access to God, we all have the right and responsibility to find God's will for myself. So they are need to find God's will and you need to find God's will knowing that one day you're going to stand before God. That means it's not my job to fix anybody. My, my job to convince anybody. I'm the messenger boy. But he says, but, but, but then if it's not your job to fix them, how in the world are they going to get fixed? I said, that's a good question. The only tool that we have of ourselves is called influence. And if we have enough influence, they'll want to listen to what we say, but we have to earn that influence. And so if you want all of these people to believe like you, then you need to be as close to God as possible, as right with God as possible. Let God do his work and pray that God gives you influence that they want to hear what you say. He goes, I've never heard anybody explain that before. And you could tell that there was a big weight that lifted up because he really thought it was his job to convince everyone. And that's just a lot of pressure. That's the heart of this. You know that even good people with right information can be full of pride because they feel like they have to convince everyone that they're wrong and they need to believe just like me. This is why people say that the biggest cause of wars around the world is religion. Why? Because people think they're right and they have to convince someone some way, somehow that we're right and you're wrong. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. This solves so many things because it's dying to self. Solves marriage issues. Solves relationship issues. Solves bosses issues. Solves coworker issues. Solves family issues who are estranged. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. And we and trust God. The opposite of pride is dependence on God. Can you trust him? That is the whole heart of the matter. Can I trust God? Now I understand when we get carnal, when we get full of flesh, it is very hard for us to trust God to fix someone. But listen, I prayed a couple times and they're not fixed. Let God do his work. Sometimes God doesn't fix someone right away because he knows that we're the problem. And he wants to see us finally just surrender and say, I'm not, not going to fix him no more. Not my job to try to convince him. Not my, I'm going to let you work. I'm going to let you work. You tell me what to do and I'll be obedient, but it's not my job. We carry such weights around us because of our pride. We're weighted down. We have a stumbling block in front of us. We don't guard our spirits so we're like a city without walls that we keep losing spiritual battles over and over and over. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. This principle needs to be etched inside of your Christianity everywhere. 
You have to write yourself a note and have it on your mirror that you look at it every morning before you start your day. Take the wrong. Do it. You have to have phone reminders that comes up every 15 minutes. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. I mean, you have to be reminded. You have to develop the habit because go through your day today in your mind. Don't, don't rab it out and then not come back. But how many interpersonal uh, issues did you have today that could have been solved with take the wrong? How many high school classrooms would be more settled if the students took the wrong? How many employees would be better employees if they took the wrong with their boss? Let him be wrong. Okay. How many relationships would be fixed if a husband and wife, one of them took the wrong? You know, a wife, you have such great power. What do you mean power? I'm not the one in charge. Yeah, but you know his boss. Lord, you fix him. I'm tired of trying to fix him. I'm let you work. I mean, just cheat and go talk to his boss. Well, I could trust you to work on him. He's not listening to me. Now, make sure that you have the right spirit. I'm, I kind of said that with a little bit of pride. You, but you said, Lord, I trust you to do this. Again, taking the wrong is not like where we just give up. Fine, just do whatever you want. By the way, as future husbands, if your wife ever says that, that means you're already wrong. Don't, don't go any further. That means do not do whatever you want. Just, you know, helpful hint later on. <laughs> Survival. Um, <laughs> you know, take the wrong. I know I've been just staying on this one point over and over, but I'm doing it on purpose. I want this in your brain. I want this in your head. I want you to think about it tomorrow when you start feeling like, oh, you start stiffening your back, stiffening your neck, start just, you know, ready to take the wrong. When you feel that heat rising, Take the wrong. Take the wrong. And we can trust God to do its work. That's why it's not being a doormat. You're saying, Lord, I'm showing great strength by trusting you. I'm not going to fix it. And you could do a better job than me. If your boss is just completely out of his mind wrong, Lord, you fix him. I'm going to do whatever I'm told. I'm going to trust you to work. Take the wrong. Take the wrong. It's amazing this one principle revolutionizes a life and it revolutionizes a church and grants us influence. You know, that's a church that doesn't fight with everyone, but yet there's such a strength there. We're not wusses where we just give in and like, whatever you guys want, we're just not going to go to war with you. We want to love you. What can we do to be a blessing? You know, learn those type of things. Listen, I don't want to fight with you. What can I do to be a blessing? It is very hard to get in a war with someone who doesn't want to, who doesn't fight back. Takes all the fun out of it. Have you ever wanted to be in a fight and they don't fight back and you're like, come on, this ain't fun no more. I remember a story once of a young man who did some horrible things in Bible college. I think he woke up people in the middle of the night. It was smaller at that time. And he had a chainsaw and a mask and woke some kids up. I mean, nothing like waking them up. And he, he went and raided the kitchen in the middle of the night. You know, this is a, a college campus. And so he went and raided the kitchen. He just like made it home and ate everything in it. And the pastor finally tracked him down and you come here. Now, did you do this or did you do this? And the kid went, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I should have done that. And the pastor's like, I, 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you do now? <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I'm stupid. I'm wrong. Oh, I failed. Okay. <laughs> It'd surprise you when you take the wrong. When they're ready to fight and say, you know what? I'm so sorry that this happened. What can I do to make this right? <laughs> now they can't fight back. I mean, they'll try to push a little bit. No, no, I'm sorry. You know what? You're really upset. And I apologize that it got this far. What can I do to help you out? What, what can I do to be a blessing to you? <laughs> Take the wind out of the sails. Again, we're not being a doormat, but we're taking the wrong Stopping the fight, being a peacemaker, and letting God work in the situation. That's a whole thing here. Paul says, can't you find someone in the church that will be willing to do that? Take the wrong. Willing not to go to war over what color carpet we have. Not willing to fight, you know, I'm a Paul. Listen, what can I do to fix things? I'm willing to be the one to say, what can I do to fix this? What can we do to make this right? What do you need to be satisfied? Take the wrong. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.